If you have your Bibles, let's turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6, we're walking through uh, what is prayer? What is a biblical picture of prayer and what instruction does the Bible give us about praying and, and, and how to pray? Uh, and so we've looked at what prayer is, uh, that prayer is, is, isn't, you know, just talking to God, that prayer biblically is specifically asking God, asking God uh, to do something. Uh, and then we've started uh, now looking at what to pray. And the chief example of what we should be praying is the Lord's Prayer. That's where the Lord gives us guidance. And when you pray, here are the things you ask for. Here are the thing when you ask, you know, if you wanted to, 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 to translate, you could say, ask like this, uh, ask these things. This is what you uh, ask for. And so we're walking through uh, the Lord's Prayer. We've now made it uh, all the way to the second part of the Lord's Prayer, uh, thy kingdom uh, come. And so we've looked at what's so great about the kingdom of God, uh, what's so, uh, and we've seen just the greatness of the king of the kingdom and the greatness of the kingdom itself. And so why would we be praying that one? Because God tells us to, but also because we should want to, because the king of that kingdom is amazing. uh, And so is the kingdom that he brings. That is our prayer that the kingdom would come. So let's read uh, Matthew 6, 9 through 13. And then we'll we'll work uh, one more time in the the question of the kingdom, uh, and then uh, we'll move to his will being done. Let's stand in the honor of reading the word of God and uh, again, let's hope that our, our physical bodies, right? We don't want to be uh, a new Israel in this way. We want our physical bodies to be matched by uh, our, our hearts, just as we, uh, circumcised bodies matched by circumcised hearts. We want uh, bodies standing in honor of, 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 of God, but also hearts uh, doing the same. So beginning in verse 9, it says this, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do pray that your name would be hallowed, hallowed here and hallowed across this earth. And Father, we pray that your kingdom would come. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. So what does it mean to want the kingdom to come? It means that we want the kingdom to be here. That's what we want. We want the kingdom to come. We've said all of these prayers on this list, everything that Jesus tells us to pray for, every ask in these things are not only, not only does God promise he will do all of these things, But as we go through scripture, we see that all of these things are things he has done and things that he is doing even now. And so as with the other prayers, uh, we see that this request, your kingdom come, is one that God will answer. In fact, it's one that he is already answering. And the reason I wanted to focus uh, on this for the kingdom is because one thing I notice is is when we're praying through these prayers, uh, the one prayer that normally seems totally something in the future, totally distant, is the idea of the kingdom. That people, when they talk about the kingdom of God, it is, it is almost as if it is a solely future thing. Like I'm one, so when we're praying, your kingdom come, we're praying for a kingdom that's going to be then. 
not, not now. And, and so uh, the, the kingdom of God then becomes something that's so, solely going to happen one day. Like one day, this will be true. One day, God's going to answer this prayer. Your, your kingdom's going to come. And it, it becomes a solely, again, future kingdom. And that can be, it can be depressing. It can be, uh, it can be debilitating. It can uh, be frustrating. But, but what we're going to see is the Bible doesn't speak about God's kingdom as a solely future event. Uh, that when we ask the question, so people ask, when is the kingdom coming? And that's what we titled the notes today. When is the kingdom uh, coming? What, what is the timing of the kingdom of God? When we go through scripture, we're going to see three things about the kingdom. Three things about when is the kingdom going to come? What is the timing and work of the kingdom? And the first thing we're going to see, uh, and that we've got to understand, when we pray, your kingdom come, what are we expecting? How are we, how are we expecting this to work out? Uh, one thing we've got to realize is the kingdom has always been. The kingdom of God is always. The kingdom of God has always been. There's never been a moment where God has not been reigning over everything and everyone. There's never been a moment. Uh, in other words, God's, so, so in, in, in that sense, in some sense, the kingdom of God has always been. God's reign is not something that we're waiting on. God's reign is something that began long ago. So you read Psalm 93. Psalm 93 verse 1 says, the Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. We talked about that. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall not be moved. So here we are. We're hundreds of years. Hundreds of years. We're in the Old Testament. Hundreds of years before Christ. Thousands of years before us. And God can have the psalmist declare God reigns. Not God's going to reign someday. God reigns now. He reigns eternally. And what was true then is also true now. In fact, God's reign is eternal. So you look at Psalm 10, verse 16. The Lord is king forever and ever. It doesn't mean just the Lord is king from the point in Psalm 10 onward. It doesn't mean that the Lord will be king in some few thousand years and then onward. There has never been, nor will there ever be a moment where God is not reigning. Lamentations. Even there can rejoice in 519, but you, O Lord, reign forever. Your kingdom endures to all generations. Every generation on this earth has existed under the reign of God Almighty. Not God Almighty someday, God Almighty every day. Every generation has, has, has been under the throne of God. In 1 Timothy, Paul says that God is the king of the ages. 1 Timothy 1.17, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. There has never been an age where God did not reign, where his kingdom did not exist so the Bible's clear. God doesn't reign one day, just one day. He reigns every day. He's always reigned. The kingdom has always been. And so it's no wonder then that God is referred to simply as the king. God is, the, this is how he refers to himself, actually, in Jeremiah 46, verse 18. God says, as I live, declares the king, whose name is 
the Lord, Yahweh of hosts, like Tabor among the mountains and like Carmel by the sea shall one come. So God says, I am the king. I am Yahweh of hosts. Not that one day God will be the king, but that he is the king then. So 1 Timothy 6.15 says, He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the king of kings and Lord of lords. So when we're looking at how the kingdom has always been, uh, not only is God the king, he's really the only king, at least the only true one. All of the other kings of this world are, are just shadows. God is, when we're looking at the kingdoms, God's really the one who's only ever truly had a kingdom. Because even the kings of this world who had kingdoms, they were sitting under the throne of God's kingdom. They were not actually reigning for everything they were doing was under the sovereign hand of God. He is the only true sovereign, the only true king. And what's, what's crazy is the Bible actually has some of the greatest kings of the world recognize this. This is that great scene in, in, in Daniel with Nebuchadnezzar, right? So Nebuchadnezzar, right after he, he's humbled by the scene with Shadrach, Meshach, and, and Abednego, uh, in Daniel 4, beginning in verse 1, he, he, he writes it, he sends it out. He wants everyone to know this. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are His signs, how mighty His wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And His dominion endures from generation to generation. So you have Nebuchadnezzar, who ironically, and sovereignly ironically, whose name means Nebu, Nebu, that, that was their God, Nebu, may Nebu protect the crown, right? Nebu, protect my reign. Nebu, protect the kingship. This false god of theirs, like we just read about, that's not even a a real god. So Nebuchadnezzar's name means my false god's going to protect the crown. And you've got that guy throwing his crown, uh, whose name is meant to worship the gods of this world. You've got this guy throwing his crown to the Lord, and saying God's kingdom is actually the one without beginning or end. His kingdom is the one that has always been from generation to generation. He's the real king. Nebu cannot protect the crown because all of their crowns are fake. There's only one true sovereign, only one king who truly reigns over a kingdom. But, but maybe, maybe what's going on, Chris is God is just talking about how he reigns over a heavenly kingdom. Maybe it's just that God is reigning in his heavenly kingdom. Maybe he's just king up there, right? But not here. Well, eh, the Bible is actually going to say that's not the truth. And the one who says it is actually God. Who's going to tell us? No, I reign there and here. Uh, So for example, Psalm 29, 10. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. So here we see God is at least king over the earthly events. So God is at least sovereign over event like, uh, in this case, the flood. God's sovereignty is not just something. His kingdom is not just a heavenly one. It influences earthly events. Jeremiah 10.10 says this, But the Lord is the true God. 
He is the living God and the everlasting King. Okay. At his wrath, the earth quakes. Right. Similar to what we just sang about. And the nations cannot endure his indignation. So the Lord is King. He's this everlasting King. His rule is not just exercised in heaven. But on earth, to the point that the other kingdoms of this world can't stand against him. And again, his reign is, is, is offensive. They're not trying to overthrow him. God's kingdom is, is, is advancing and they're just sort of hanging on. And, and it says they won't be able to. Sort of a foreshadowing of the great gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Here you've got the nations. You've got the one true God reigning, not just up there, but, but, but everywhere. His wrath quaking the earth and the nations not being able to endure under that wrath, under that indignation. So it's not surprising then when God makes very clear, I'm not just king in heaven, although he is king in heaven, that his reign is over the earth too, that he sits enthroned not just over the events of the earth, but also over its people. Psalm twenty-two twenty-eight. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. So here, all the way back, Psalm 22, kingship belongs to God, and he rules over the nations. Not that, not that God will one day rule over the nations, but that he does rule over the nations. Here again, we see that God's reign is not just heavenly, but all the way back in the Old Testament, it's proclaiming, not that God will reign one day, but that he rules over the nations now. God takes out any doubt in Psalm 47, which is why you hold this verse to the last, because if I did it at the first, all the other verses would seem like, yeah, he already talked about this in Psalm 47. Uh, Psalm 47 makes it very clear in verse 7, for God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. So where is God king? He's not just king in heaven. God is king over all of the earth. So when we talk about God's kingdom and wanting him as king, when we're praying your kingdom come, we're not just asking for some pie in the sky reality. We're actually praying for something that is already true right now. Just like we did when we said, hallowed, may your name be hallowed. God is has always been hallowing his name. There's not a moment where God has not been working to hallow his name. And there's not been a moment where God's kingdom has not been. And so when we pray, this that's, that's I mean, the, the, the world belongs to the Lord. He, he reigns over it. The fact that the Bible says that God's kingdom has always been and forever will be gives us then confidence when we pray something like, your kingdom come. We're not saying your kingdom come and then sitting back and saying, I don't think he's ever going to answer that or that's not going to answer until this, you know, final day in the moment of history. Or, and, and, but if we instead realize when we pray your kingdom come, we know, yeah, his kingdom is here. He is reigning over all the earth. There's an assurance, there's a reassurance to this prayer that the world not only belongs to God in some sort of creator sense, but that he reigns over it that he always has and always will. That's why the earth will not be moved. Uh, that's why no matter what happens, we can have confidence and it should. So that idea that the kingdom has always been should reassure our prayer lives, 
should reassure this prayer when we pray, your kingdom come. We see just like with all the other requests that we're going to look at, this is, a, this is a prayer that God has done, is doing, and will do. So when we ask God, your kingdom come, it is, it is, his kingdom is, his kingdom will ever be. There will never be a moment when his kingdom isn't reigning over everything and everyone. So when we ask, when is the kingdom coming? Well, there's a sense in which the Bible tells us, well, the kingdom's always been. God has always reigned over all the earth, over all its events, over all of its people. So when we pray your kingdom come, we're praying something that has always been true. God reigns now over the nations. He reigns forever over heaven and earth. But there's also a sense, right, in which God talks about the coming of the kingdom, the progression of that kingdom, and, and refers specifically to Jesus as the one who is going to bring the kingdom of God. Not that we'll bring God's reign to earth as if he didn't reign before, because we go, wait, but God, you said you already reigned. You said already in these passages, you reign over all the earth, but who will instead unite the kingdoms of heaven and earth? That the kingdom of heaven will no longer be up there right? That God will dwell with his people in righteousness, uh, that, that the kingdom won't be sort of heaven up there and earth down here, but that the two will be one. The Bible tells us that that kingdom will come, that that kingdom has come. What we have is not an inbreaking of a new kingdom in Christ, but sort of a melding of the two. So when we're looking at the kingdom, we see the king, when's the kingdom going to come? Well, the kingdom has always been And the second thing we see is that the kingdom is already here. So it's always been, but in Christ, it is now already here in this inbreaking way, this growth, this merging of heaven and earth. Jesus tells us that this really begins with his incarnation. It really starts with his ministry on earth. And and we're told that actually all the way back in the Old Testament that when the Messiah come, this came, this would be part of, of what he would do. So uh, Isaiah chapter 40, uh, if you remember Isaiah 40, Isaiah 40 is this, you know, comfort to the weary, comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord God. You get this weary uh, people. And what does God tell them to do? You know, go prepare a highway for the Lord, make ready uh, for the Lord. Uh, a passage we're told is fulfilled by whom? John the Baptist, so prepare a highway for God, comfort my people, God is coming, all of this. And why did Isaiah say to prepare a highway for the Lord? Because who's coming? God himself is coming, make a highway ready for him. God's glory is going to be revealed and all flesh will see it. So if you look at Isaiah 40 verses 9 through 11, it says, go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God Almighty comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. So here we see in Isaiah 40 that God says, hey, even though he reigns over everything, it's just God is coming and his rule is coming with him. Yet the the, the rule that God exercised is not going to be a rule in heaven and a rule on earth that God is going to come and reign in the earth. 
that there's some inbreaking of this rain that has always been. There's some progression of the rain, uh, not just over uh, the events and things, but over everything. And so the Bible tells us that, yeah, the kingdom has always been, but yet in Christ, the kingdom is coming. But Jesus tells us that that work that he's doing to bring the kingdom to, to, to merge heaven and earth is one that has already started. It is one that, that we're not waiting for in the future. It's a kingdom that has come crashing to earth really at Christmas time, right? At the incarnation. And so the first message that Jesus preaches about this kingdom coming, uh, for example, Mark 1.15. This is the message of Christ. This is time for this. So Mark 1.15, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So Jesus is saying this promised kingdom where, where, where God's going to reign uh, in heaven and earth, where, where that kingdom will be uh, fully and finally achieved, not just outside us, but inside us, all of those things, that kingdom has come in Christ. So in, uh, when we're looking at the kingdom, God says the kingdom has always been, but we see that in Christ, the advancement of that kingdom has come, that kingdom of the melding of heaven and earth uh, has happened in Christ and has already happened. The time is already fulfilled. It's interesting. You go to the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus says it's time for this kingdom. The kingdom is here. This is its time. Repent. You go to the Sermon on the Mount. You have eight Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. Eight of them. Eight blessed ours. Uh, in, in six of them, the blessing is in the future. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be. Blessed are the pure in heart, for there shall be. They're all future except for two. The blessings about the kingdom. The words about the kingdom. So, for example, in Matthew 5, 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs not will be the kingdom of God, but theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5.10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Not that that kingdom will be theirs when it eventually comes, but that kingdom is theirs. Now, currently, presently among them, the, the, the presence of the kingdom is, is actually a message that Jesus sends his apostles out with. Let everyone know the kingdom is here. This is why they were, this is why if you remember last week, we said when John the Baptist was preaching about this coming of the kingdom, they're wanting to force their way into it. They want to be, they want to be in that kingdom. Uh, Matthew 10, 7, these 12, Jesus sent out instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles, enter no town of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is here. That he is the fulfillment of this kingdom hope is what he then tells in the next chapter to John's disciples. Because John's disciples begin to go, hey, are you the one? Are you? The, I mean, we know our guy did Isaiah 40, but did you do the second part of Isaiah 40? We prepared the way for the Lord, but are you the one that we should, we're supposed to be waiting for? Or am I supposed to look for another? What does Jesus tell them in Matthew eleven three through 6? They ask, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, 
Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now, why does John tell, or why does Jesus tell John those things? Because those are the things that God said is going to happen when the Messiah brings the kingdom of heaven. He's specifically referencing uh, the promises from Isaiah 35. Isaiah 35, 5 and 6 is talking about this day. says, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf, un- deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters shall break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Jesus is saying, look, these promises of the coming kingdom are fulfilled in me. This is the day. I am the, you can tell him to, to, to see this, to see these things are happening. The king, you know, you're proclaiming the kingdom is here. How do we know? Look, these events that were supposed to be signs that the kingdom has come are here. The, the blind are seeing, the lame are walking. In fact, when Jesus sends out more than just the 12, when he sends out the the 72, when he sends out his disciples to show uh, and proclaim uh, this same thing, he sends them out to proclaim the kingdom of God is here. And he tells them to, to show that it's here by doing many of the same things that he just talked about in Matthew 11. So one of the reasons why, you know, why are, why are, you know, why are the apostles doing these miracles and these signs? It's not just to prove that Jesus is God. It was to verify that the time has come. The kingdom of heaven is here. Repent and believe. Well, how do we know the kingdom of heaven is here? Look at what's happening. Look at the weird melding and inbreaking of the two. Look at these events that are taking place that, that God said would be the promise of when that kingdom came. So he says in Luke 10, 9 through 11, he tells them, Heal the sick in it and say to these towns, heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. So the disciples, they show themselves, just like Jesus did. They show that the kingdom is here. How? By their miracles. And the response of the people, the response of the people doesn't affect the reality of that kingdom. It's not like if they they reject them, then the kingdom, you know, isn't there. Kingdom's not here or anything like that. Even those who reject the kingdom, Jesus lets them know that their rejection is not a rejection of the disciples, but a rejection of the kingdom of God itself. The kingdom that they said they longed for. And yet a kingdom that they want no part of. This is why they're going to have no excuse in the day of judgment. This is why it's going to be better for Sodom in that day than these people. We go, why? Because Sodom was really bad. They did all these really bad things. We know. Mr. Jackson has been talking about it on Wednesday night. Why is it going to be worse for them? Because they rejected the kingdom of God in their very midst. 
In fact, Jesus' own miracles show that the kingdom has come. He tells this in Matthew 12, 28 and 29. The miracles that he does, specifically the casting out of demons, shows that the kingdom has come. Matthew 12, 28 and 29. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Jesus says, if if I'm casting out demons, if I'm plundering Satan's house, then I must have bound the strong man and the kingdom of God must be upon you. The kingdom of God must be here. The strong man must have been bound or I wouldn't be casting out these demons in the spirit of God. So the, the, the one teaching uh, the, the here, so the, 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 as, as we're moving through this prayer, the one teaching his disciples to pray, your kingdom come, is going to be the one who will show them the very fulfillment of that prayer in just a couple chapters. He's going to say, pray, your kingdom come, and then in just a few chapters later, he's going to say, look, The kingdom is here because I'm doing these things. In fact, the kingdom is so here, you go out and you proclaim through your works that the kingdom of God has come. The kingdom is going to so be here that you're going to do these things. So the kingdom is always, the kingdom is already, and yet the kingdom is not done. The, the presence of the kingdom, the, the, so the God reigning over everything and then his physical earthly reign as the two are melding and the kingdom of God is advancing, claiming back what was, we could say, lost at the garden. God's reign, his holiness, his glory covering the earth like waters cover the sea. The fact that it, it came and Christ is here and that kingdom is, is there is not the end of the story. That kingdom is not done. And so the kingdom that has always been, the kingdom that has come, is a kingdom that is advancing. It is a kingdom here that is not only present, but expanding. And expanding actively. That's why I like the word advancing. And then I looked and saw that they all began with A, Zachary. I didn't try to make them all begin with A. I looked and I went, hey, that begins with A. That works. Expand Because expansion happens passively. But there's nothing passive about what Christ is doing through his gospel on the earth. The kingdom is actively advancing. We see uh, this advancement of the kingdom, for example, in, in Jesus' parables. We looked at this last week, this uh, talking about the advancement of the kingdom. So the kingdom is here, and yet it is still advancing. So the kingdom has come in Christ. The kingdom always is God's always reigned over heaven and earth. Now the two are going to be melded, uh, earth and heaven. That rule, God will dwell among his people. This is, there's not going to be the separation of the two. The kingdom will be, he will reign over one kingdom that has come. It has begun and it is advancing. And so Jesus says in Matthew 13, 31 through 33, put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in the field. 
sowed in the earth, sowed in the ground. It is the smallest of all seeds. When it began in a little manger uh, in, uh, at Christmas, it's the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it's larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. So it's not, it's not that the, so it's the, the, the idea in, in this prayer, it's not that the kingdom is, is coming someday. It's that the kingdom is here. The mustard seed has sprouted and it's not done growing. The kingdom is here. The leaven is in the loaf. It doesn't say this woman took leaven and she said, one day I'm going to leaven the fire out of you. Uh, I mean, the leaven is in there and it is working through the loaf. There's not, a, there's not a tree that's growing outside the garden. He says, one day I'm transplanting that whole tree right smack in the middle of you. But until then, nothing. The kingdom is here. It is growing. It is advancing. Until that time, what is life going to be like? The kingdom is here, but there are still those who refuse to bow the knee to it. So Hebrews tells us this, Hebrews 2, 8 and 9. Putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Not everyone in the Roman Empire bowed the knee to Caesar. But just because the Gauls didn't bow didn't mean Caesar didn't reign there. Caesar reigned over them, They were still rebelling against that reign. But there will come a time when that rebellion will stop. When there will be no one left to rebel. 1 Corinthians 15, 24 says, Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. The kingdom is going to continue to come. The kingdom has come and yet is going to continue to come uh, until death itself is destroyed. And then Christ will hand his kingdom to the Father. So the the hope of the the kingdom to come is, is not that he will finally rule as if he doesn't rule now. God has always ruled. So this is why it's important, because otherwise you're going to read these passages of Scripture, and you're going to say, your kingdom come, you're going to think, God's not ruling and reigning, but one day he'll rule and reign. Then you're going to read passages from Psalms a couple thousand years ago where God's like, I am reigning. And you're like, not yet, you're not. And he's like, no, I am. Uh, and you're going to be like, oh, I can't wait for his kingdom to come. And Jesus is going to say, the kingdom is here. And you're going to be like, well, how? Because that's not supposed to happen until, you know, 1984 uh, or 88 or now 2088. I don't know how it works out. Uh, maybe we'll republish it then. Um, but, you know, I'll all of these things, I don't know how that's supposed to happen. If, and we're praying this, you know, your kingdom come. And we think that's never going to be answered until this great trumpet blast or whatever. And, but if instead, if we realize that the kingdom is less about the beginning of God's reign 
and more about the end of the rebellion of sin, the crushing of every enemy, every one progressively put under his feet, and that's true both generically and specifically, meaning the things and also the peoples, the peoples themselves, as we saw last week, the fan, not just the nations, but the families of the nations. When we say, thy kingdom come, that's what we're praying for. That continued advancement of the kingdom that has always been and the kingdom that already is. Calvin said it this way. Again, as the kingdom of God is continually growing and advancing to the end of the world, we must still pray every day that it may come. So he says, look, he says, even though the kingdom is continuing, it's here, it's growing, it's advancing, and yet what are we praying? That it would come. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven was and is and is to come. It is an always, already, and advancing kingdom. When we pray, your kingdom come, we're praying for what God has been doing from the foundation of the world, just like with every other one of these requests. It is not that God will one day hallow his name. God has always hallowed his name. It's not that one day God will give you your daily bread. God has always given you your daily bread. It is not that one day God will not lead you into temptation. He has always never led you into temptation. And yet we pray for those things to come. This is what God has been doing from the start. This is what, I mean, when you look at the, the annals of history, this is what God has been doing throughout time. I mean, you could go, I mean, you could go back, Tower of Babylon and Abraham. Tower of Babylon, we will not give God his glory. He is not going to reign here. We're going to build a tower to our own glory and we're going to reign over this spot. We're not going to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth for God's glory. We're going to do this. What does God do? He scatters them. You don't think I reign? Let me show you. I'm going to scatter you and you're not even going to be able to talk to one another. Who's reigning now? He doesn't say, oh, Babylon, you wait in 4,000 years. You're going to be so surprised. He shows them. And then what does he do? He shows his sovereignty by saying, all right, I will make a people for myself. And he pulls Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees. Where is the Chaldees? Babylon. Babylon is a city in the Chaldees, the Chaldeans. So he takes a very person from the people who once said, we will be God. He says, I will make a people who will say there is no God but you. Why? Because he reigns over everything and everyone. That's what he's been doing. And that, that story has not changed. And steal from Calvin again, because he's so much better than me. And he even wrote it in French and translated it's better than me. Whenever then the prophets speak of perfection under the reign of Christ, we ought not to confine what they say to one day or to a short time, but we ought to include the whole time from the beginning to the end. Hence, when Christ appeared in the world, then began to shine the splendor of which Zechariah speaks. But the Lord will go on and on until that shall be completed 
which now makes continual progress. So pray, thy kingdom come, church. Pray it because you long for the king. Pray it because you long for his kingdom. And pray it with confidence because because you're praying it with feet and hearts already planted in that kingdom. Let's pray. Just take a moment right now and pray with great confidence. Your kingdom come. Just a couple things of application I wanted us to think on as we are responding to this word. The first thing and chief thing I think we should do is rejoice. I mean, when we went back and saw that God reigned over everything, what does it say? It said, God is king of all the earth. Sing praises with us all. If God is king over all the earth, as we just looked at, if God's kingdom is not one that will just come one day, but has been here every day, if God's kingdom is here and is advancing, then what can we do? We can, we can rejoice in the fact that our God reigns. And when we pray, your kingdom come, there can be great confidence in that kingdom. Enough confidence to cause us to sing. God is king over all the earth. May we sing with joy. So right now, just even rejoice in in God's sovereignty, that he is the only true king that has ever really been over this earth. All other sovereigns are just shadows of him. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And then celebrate the coming of Christ. Christ. Rejoice that the kingdom, that that ultimate final kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God has come and it has come through our Savior. That all of of this that that, that has has happened, all of this that that has occurred, this, this promise of the kingdom, this inbreaking of the kingdom, everything promised all the way up into Revelation 21 and 22, like it's all come through whom? Through Him. And the kingdom is not something that, you know, e- even as God reigned and they, the, the prophet spoke of this promise of when the, the kingdom that where God would again dwell with man. Where we'd get a new heavens and a new earth. Where we'd see it descend, the kingdom descend out of heaven. To hear. That all comes through Christ without him. We would, just be, we would just be waiting for the start of this kingdom. And then recognize you, you are a part of that promised kingdom advancement, like Zachary read this morning. This promised kingdom advancement, I mean, we read it in Jeremiah 16. I mean, Jeremiah 16, talking about the advancement of the kingdom to the nations. Well, the nations aren't supposed to start being saved till Jesus gets here. No. The promise of the coming of the kingdom, one that would cause the nations to to even shout out, our gods have been lies. We are a part of that advancement. We're a part of that advanced kingdom. I know we've said it before, but your, your home, 
You are an outpost of the kingdom of God. You're an outpost of the kingdom of heaven. Your family, your church, yourself. Part of that great promised progress of the kingdom. So how are you proclaiming that? How is your life showing that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, not through miracles that you're doing, but through holiness, through righteousness, that you who were once far off have been brought near. How is your life showing others the kingdom of heaven is at hand? Repent and believe in the gospel. How can people see that in your family life? How can they they see it and either hate it or love it, but see it? How? How How can they see that in you, in your heart, in your life? How can they see that in our church? How are you praying your kingdom come? What area of your life do you need to plead for that kingdom to come? (laughs) What area of your heart do you need to say, God, your kingdom come here? And then rejoice that it will. Maybe you're looking at your relationship with your spouse. Maybe you're looking at your relationship with, uh, at work. Maybe you're looking at your relationship with some of your friends. Maybe you're looking at uh, family, church, whatever. You're looking at it and you're seeing your deficiency. You're seeing I'm not being a great outpost for the kingdom here. My life does not look like something some people would look at and say, the kingdom of God is at hand. Look at this person's life. We can see, we can see in them just like they saw in the disciples, just like they saw in the apostles, just like they saw in Christ. the obvious nature of the kingdom they can see it in you what area of your life is not proclaiming that kingdom are you a grumbler are you a complainer are you disobedient to your parents I mean what area are you looking at and going I need I need the kingdom of God to come here in my life I need the kingdom of God in my marriage. I need to see the kingdom of God in my house. I need to see the kingdom of God among my children and praying, your kingdom come. We need to see the kingdom of God in our church. Your kingdom come. And then rejoicing that it will. Because the thing is, you and I wouldn't even be praying that prayer to begin with if that kingdom hadn't already planted its flag and set its cornerstone in our hearts. And nothing can stop that kingdom. Nothing and no one, not the gates of hell, and not even your hard heart. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. And Father, I pray if there are any areas in our lives where God, we, have, we are not living 
the blessed reality of the kingdom. This promise so long ago, and it is, it is the, the kingdom of heaven that is at hand and the people rejoicing at and violently wanting to be a part of it. Here we are, saved, redeemed by you, rescued from the kingdom of darkness and put into the kingdom of your son, the kingdom of light, all of that true. And yet areas of our lives that are, that are less kingdomly than they need to be. And so, Father, we come here today to worship you. We come here today to worship you and say that all of the gods that our forefathers believed in were idols. They were all worthless. They were fakes. The greatest thing you could ever do was come and conquer us with your kingdom. We thank you for the advancement of that kingdom. And, Father, may we show that in our lives. May there not be one area of our life that we don't say Christ reigns here. So Father, we pray your kingdom come, knowing that your kingdom has always been, is already here and is advancing even as we pray and praise your blessed name. It is in Christ's name that we ask this thing. Amen.